following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, March 29, 2020, on the basis of selected verses from John chapter 11. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. It was Benjamin Franklin who first said that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Franklin's point was that if we have the ability to keep a problem from happening at all, it's much more valuable than being able to fix the problem once it's occurred. Sixteen times as valuable, I guess. And that assumes, of course, that a cure even exists. If there is a problem for which there is no solution, where our only option is to keep it from happening at all, then then the value of prevention skyrockets even more. Then prevention comes pretty close to being priceless. I suppose that helps explain all of the prevention that we've been doing in recent weeks. You know, the social distancing and the self-quarantines, the safer-at-home orders, the economic shutdown, a $2 trillion economic stimulus bill. I don't know about you, but probably the way that I felt the pain of the coronavirus the most to this point is that my hands are all dry and chapped and cracked from all the hand-washing that I've been doing. All because there is this virus for which there is no vaccine and for which the only cure is our own body's ability to fight against it if it's even in the condition to be able to do so. When prevention seems like your only option, you're willing to pay just about any price in order to achieve it. Throughout the season of the church year known as Lent, we've been talking about how this mess of a world that we live in is familiar terrain for Jesus how he was willing to leave his footprints over every square inch of that mess, not only to experience everything that we experience, but to pave for us a path out. Well, today we're talking about the plot of ground within that mess, that is the place where the mess is arguably the deepest and its sting is the sharpest. This is the place where even the loftiest of our hopes and dreams are leveled to the ground, the place where even the strongest and the closest of human bonds are ripped apart. The place that I'm talking about, you can maybe guess, is the grave. And when it comes to this most awful plot of ground on all of planet Earth, we might be tempted to think that prevention is our best option. That we should just do anything and everything we can to avoid having to leave our footprints at the grave, or at least for as long as we possibly can. And sure, it's going to cost a lot. Sure, it's going to be expensive, but it's certainly better than the alternative right? It's, it's better than leaving more footprints at grave sites than is absolutely necessary. Thankfully, we're going to see today that those aren't our only two options. We're going to see that Jesus came to bring much better news than that. That even when it comes to this most awful plot of ground on all of planet Earth, that's familiar terrain for Jesus too. That Jesus' footprints can also be seen at the grave. Which means that when it comes to death, prevention is not our only option. As we look at these verses from John chapter 11 this morning, we're going to see that even as our footprints lead us to the grave, we already have death's cure in hand. The grave that is in question in these verses belonged to this man named Lazarus. The Gospels tell us about this family of three siblings, Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. The three of them lived in this small town called Bethany, and evidently they had a very unique and close friendship with Jesus. 
What's important to note as we look at this story is that between Mary and Martha and the crowd of people who had come from Jerusalem to help try and comfort them, everyone in the story, everyone except Jesus, had assumed that prevention was the only option. In fact, even when Lazarus had first taken ill, Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus. They wanted Jesus to come to Bethany as soon as he could to try and cure Lazarus of whatever it was that ailed him. But Jesus delayed And so Lazarus died. And so now as they gather to to mourn their loss, each of them takes turns expressing this idea that that this could have and maybe should have been prevented. First, it's Martha. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then Mary says the exact same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then finally, some of these other people who had gathered around said the very same thing. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? In fact, even when Jesus tells Martha that her brother will rise again, she assumes he's talking about the resurrection at the last day, something way off in the distant future, something that does her absolutely no good in the present. They had all hoped and believed that prevention was their best option. And so when that prevention failed, they paid dearly for it. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. According to the rules of grammar, that's referred to as a contrary-to-fact conditional statement. In other words, if A were true, the implication being it's not, then B would also be true. But as a result, it's not. Lord, if you had been here, you weren't. My brother would not have died. He did. And just as Mary and Martha had hoped in something that turned out to be contrary to fact, so also we can live our lives in exactly the same way. That when it comes to death, we assume that prevention is our best option. And maybe we even assume that we're getting pretty close to perfecting the art of prevention. A while back, I came across some interesting statistics about infant mortality rates in our world. Back in 1955, not all that long ago when you think about it, over in Europe, where the countries are fully developed and fully industrialized, the infant mortality rate was about 8%. Well, now you fast forward just 60 years, not that long of a period of time, to 2015, and now you take a look at Africa a part of the world where the countries are still developing, if not still undeveloped. And now the infant mortality rate is about 8%. When it comes to death, it's easy to think that prevention is our best option. And it's easy to think that our prevention is working. That maybe at some point we'll just be able to avoid altogether having to leave our footprints at grave sites. And so as a result, we pour all of our time and all of our energy, all of our effort and all of our resources into things that are so temporary as if they're going to last forever. And then in the meantime, we neglect and and we put off and we put down on the priority list the only things that that are going to matter once our life is over. But then something comes along that forces us to face the reality that a life that is lived in that way is a life lived contrary to fact. Something like, I don't know, a pandemic. As of right now, there are more than 27,000 people who have died from the coronavirus worldwide, more than 1,700 of them in the United States alone. 
our wonderful economy, all of our wonderful technology, and our wonderful healthcare system could not prevent those deaths. And yet I don't think it's always in time of pandemic when death's sting is the sharpest. I don't know if this is also true of you, but as I, I think about all the people who have died from the coronavirus, I realize that not only do I not know any of them, I don't think I even know anyone who knows any of them. But the reality, of course, is that death doesn't always stay at arm's length like that. There are times when the footprints that take us to grave sites are going to be for the grave sites of our siblings and our parents and maybe our children and maybe our friends, people that we do know, people that we do very much love. And if up until that point we've been under the assumption that prevention is our best option, an assumption that is very much contrary to fact, that when that prevention has failed, we will pay dearly for it. We will pay the price of inconsolable grief over the person that we have lost. We will pay with the price of despair as we consider how powerless we are and how pointless life seems to be. We will pay with the price of guilt and regret as we think about all the things that we could have and, sh and should have said and done, all of the time that we wasted and the misplaced priorities. Finally, we will pay with the price of fear as we think about the fact that what has happened to this person sitting in that grave could also at any moment happen to us. If prevention is our best or our only option, then when that prevention fails, we will pay dearly for it. Thankfully, of course, it, it isn't the only option. And, and this story makes that so abundantly clear, right? I mean, by the, by the end of the story, it's all better. Lazarus is alive again, and he is once again in the arms of his sisters, Mary and Martha. And yet, as we look at this story, we, we need to carefully notice that this is about something so much bigger than something that just happened to one specific family on one specific day. In fact, we also need to realize that the blessing that came to this family is not a blessing that we need to wait for at some point in the distant future, but a blessing that is very much ours here and now. I mean, at, at first, that's what Martha thought, that even when Jesus told her that her brother will rise again, she assumed that Jesus was talking about his resurrection at the last day. But then notice how Jesus responded. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Even if you didn't know what a, a contrary to fact conditional statement was, I, I know you know the verb tense that Jesus uses there. He says, I am, present tense, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Friends, if you have Jesus, you have death's cure. Which means that if you have Jesus, you have the blessings that come from that cure, not as some future possibility, but as your present reality. That's why it's so important that we realize that this story is about something so much bigger than what Jesus did for this one specific family of three. It's no accident that John wanted you to know about that crowd of people who came from nearby Jerusalem to try and comfort Mary and Martha. You heard at the end of these verses how that crowd of people also saw this miracle and because they did, some of them believed in Jesus. You didn't hear what happened next. Some of them went back to Jerusalem to tell the religious leaders what had happened. 
And when the religious leaders heard what had happened, they realized that if they didn't do something and do something fast, pretty soon everyone was going to believe in Jesus. So it was right then and there, in that moment, because of this miracle, that they resolved to kill him. In other words, because Jesus' footprints could be seen at the grave of his friend Lazarus, Jesus guaranteed that those same footprints would also be seen at a different grave, at his grave. But that grave didn't belong just to Jesus. That grave belonged to all of us as well. That was the grave you and I deserve to be in because of our sin. But thankfully, those footprints that took Jesus to his grave didn't just go to the grave, they also came back out. And that resurrection didn't belong just to Jesus either. That resurrection also belongs to us as well. It belongs to all those who believe in Jesus. Friends, this cure for death that Jesus has brought into the world, the blessings that come from that cure are not some future possibility. They are very much your present reality. In fact, we might think of it this way. Let's say we woke up tomorrow morning to the wonderful news that a cure had been discovered for the coronavirus. There was going to be this pill manufactured that you could have and you could take. The second you were infected, the second you started to feel symptoms, you could take this pill and instantly you would be cured. And not only that, but the news came that they were going to be able to manufacture and distribute enough of these pills that by the end of the day, every man, woman, and child on planet Earth would have one of their own. How do you suppose that would change things? That would change everything, right? And it would change everything immediately. You could go back to work the next day. Your kids could go back to school the next day. You wouldn't have to set foot in a grocery store for bread or milk or toilet paper for like a month after that. You would never have to be a part of some online virtual meeting for the rest of your life. It would change everything and it would change everything immediately. That cure would benefit you not just at some future hypothetical date whenever you would take the pill, it would benefit you on every single day leading up to it. Friends, in the same way, the cure for death that Jesus brings is not some future possibility. It is very much our present reality. What does that look like? Well, it doesn't mean that we stop any and all prevention. Just because we know we're going to rise from the dead doesn't mean that we are reckless with our life in the meantime. But here's the difference. If and when that prevention fails, and it surely will, we no longer have to pay for it. We no longer have to pay that steep price. We don't have to pay the price of despair. Even when it seems like death is in control and death gets the last word, we know that death has been robbed of all of its power, that death cannot possibly take away from us the things that matter most. We don't have to pay with the price of fear. We don't need to view death as some invincible enemy. In fact, believe it or not, death has been turned into our unwilling servant. Far from death being the dreadful end of our life, death is now nothing more than a gate that ushers us into a brand new beginning in paradise. Finally, we don't have to pay the price of grief. Of course, when a loved one dies, we will grieve maybe every single day for the rest of our lives, but we will grieve differently. We will grieve knowing that that loved one that has been taken from us is not lost forever. We will grieve knowing that they will be in our arms one day again. 
friends, the grave can still be a place that we try to avoid, that we do all we can to never have to leave our footprints there. But even as our footprints inevitably still take us to the grave, we walk with cure already in hand. If prevention were our only option, we would pay such a steep price for it. But because we have that cure, the price that we pay when prevention fails, that price plummets. You realize that would happen too, right? If suddenly we woke up tomorrow morning and there was a cure for the coronavirus, the price that we pay for different things would change instantly. Of course, we all hope that the price of the stocks that we own would go right back up to where they were before. And yet the price that we pay for all of the prevention that we're doing, it would also change as well. You may be aware that plenty of people have been trying to profit from all of this prevention that we've been doing. I, I read one article about a, a bottle of Purell that would normally cost $10 that was being sold online for 400 I'm pretty sure that's not what Benjamin Franklin had in mind when he talked about the value of an ounce of prevention. But again, all of that would change if there were a cure. Friends, all of that has changed because we have a cure. That's not a contrary to fact conditional statement. That's our absolute reality. Even as our footprints take us to the grave, we walk with cure in hand. And because we walk with cure in hand, the blessings that come from that cure are ours here and now. And best of all, that cure and its blessings are yours at absolutely no cost. Amen. Amen.